Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from the deepness. <laughs> that sounds deep. Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Deep. sorry. Is I that like the depths, but just spelled differently? I just re-listened to Mistborn, The Final Empire. Oh, gotcha. All right, Steve Edwards. Hello from sunny and somewhat temperate Portland. We also have Dan Shapir. Hi from Tel Aviv, where it's the Jewish uh, New Year, so at the time of this recording, so Shana Tova. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and this week we're talking to Niall Crosby. Niall, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi guys, how you doing? I'm calling in from from London, where we're having a heat wave, and I'm quite thankful right now we installed air conditioning in the house, because I really need it this evening. Good timing. (laughs) Indeed. I'm looking at the other people outside and sweating it out. But yeah, seriously, thanks for having me on the show, guys. I've been wanting to come on for, for a while. This episode is sponsored by Sentry. Sentry is the thing that I put into all of my apps. First, I figure out how to deploy them. I get them up on the web. Then I run Sentry on them. And the reason why is because I need to know what's going on in my app all the time. Yeah, I'm kind of a control freak. What can I say? The other reason is, is that sometimes I miss stuff or I run things in development, you know, it works on my machine. We've all been there, right? And then it gets up in the cloud or up on a server and stuff happens and stuff breaks, right? I didn't configure it right. I'm an idiot and I didn't put the AWS credential in. I didn't do that last week, right? That wasn't me. Anyway, I need that error reported back. Hey, Chuck, I can't connect to AWS. The other thing is, is that this is something that my users often won't give me information on. And that's, hey, it's too slow. It's not performing right. And I need to know it's slowing down because I don't want them going off to Twitter when they're supposed to be using my app. And so they need to tell me it's not fast enough. And Sentry does that, right? I put Sentry in. It gives me all the performance data. And I can go, hey, that takes three seconds to load. That's way too long. And I can go in and I can fix those issues. And then I'm not losing users to Twitter. So if you have an app that's running slow, if you have an app that's having errors, or if you just have an app that you're getting started with and you want to make sure that it's running properly all the time, then go check it out. They support all major languages and frameworks. They recently added support for Next.js, which is cool. You can go sign up at sentry.io slash sign up. That's easy to remember, right? If you use the promo code JSJabber, you can get three free months on their base team plan. My name is, is Niall. I am the, the founder of what was a small open source project called AG Grid. So I don't know, I guess a few people in your show might not heard of AG Grid. So should I explain what AG Grid is and where we are now? I don't know what an AG Grid is. I know <laughs> okay. it's a grid. I, I, I played with it and I'm trying to convince people that work to use it. So I don't know what a grid is, apparently. <laughs> okay, well, Squares. grids are... <laughs> Grids are normally used in enterprise applications. So I think you can split JavaScript developers into kind of two different categories. You've got the people who are building enterprise applications, which is building apps to help run businesses. And then you've got people who are building consumer-facing web portals, and they're a much bigger group. On the consumer-facing web portals, you normally don't use data grids. If you want to display data on a web page in tabular format, you'd normally just use HTML table. That, that's all you need. But if you're building apps for enterprise, then it's very common to have a data grid in your application and um, doing functions. So if you imagine a, a trader inside a bank, he's looking at loads of stock prices. He wants a very rich experience with his data. And he ideally wants to be able to do the types of things you do in Excel. You want to sort columns, resize them, move them around, do filtering, then do pivoting, do aggregations, maybe go to a chart. 
all of that type of stuff. So what AG Grid is, is a library that allows developers to plug in a rich data grid experience into their application. So we're a third-party library widget. And I got into this space because I was working for the banks in London for about maybe five or six years. And there was one particular project back in 2014 where the requirements were not I couldn't build what I wanted to build with the data grids that were available at that time. JavaScript and Enterprise was, was kind of new and the libraries available were still maturing. So out of frustration, and it really was frustration, I, I was annoyed. I built AG Grid as an open source project one Christmas as a challenge to myself. Uh, two weeks off, I pulled out the laptop and I went, hey, how hard could this be? And after two Famous weeks, last I, words, right? Yeah. <laughs> and here I am seven years later still trying to get it right. <laughs> This is hard. (laughs) But what was interesting, though, is even within two weeks, I had something which was had differentiated itself enough from what was already available, both in the community and and, and in the paper versions as well. So if I I can interject, Mm -hmm. it's kind of surprising to me because I've been in this field like forever. And I and like even before the Web, when people were building mostly native, let's say, Windows applications and whatnot, I remember seeing ads for grids all over the, all over the place. And then when uh, frameworks started to appear in the JavaScript world, I remember seeing like grids for, for Angular and for other uh, frameworks. So it's, it's kind of surprising to me that you're saying way back when in 2014, but that's not so long ago, at least for old timers like me. And and it seems kind of crazy that we still didn't kind of get it right, that you were in a position where you felt that no grid in the market was actually doing the things that you needed. So what were they missing? Well, I think if I look back at what was available at the time, so you had Slick Grid, which is probably the most popular data grid back then. And Slick Grid was uh, written in vanilla JS. It, it wasn't bound to any framework. And in Slick Grid, you couldn't pin columns. Um, sometimes called frozen columns, where you just want mm-hmm. a column to stick to the left-hand side as you're as you're scrolling right and left, and that's a very basic feature. Um, Slickgrid also couldn't do row grouping if you wanted to drag a column and say group by by this row, and and that was one of the most popular grids. So from a feature point of view, a lot of the grids were just feature incomplete. And what and I believe the reason why that is is because you you have there was so many data grids out there, especially in the open source, where you'd have people who'd come up and they'd create a data grid and would it would solve one problem very well. Everybody would get the row virtualization working, then maybe put in row grouping, but then things would begin to lose quality as they added complexity. So when um, you say row virtualization, mm-hmm. is that referring to I literally have ten thousand rows, I can only show ten on the screen at a time. So you you give a virtual way to scroll and then it loads data. Is that because I've seen that, that? That's right. Not load the data, but render the data in the screen. So if you, for example, have ten thousand rows with about twenty columns, if you try and like forget tables, if you try and render twenty thousand rows into the DOM <laughs> with ten columns using an HTML table, it'll crash. I've done this. It'll just it, it'll hang. It just hangs. Yeah. <laughs> right. But what you can do is load the data from your server and have ten thousand rows in memory and put them into a scrollable viewport. And then as the user is scrolling up and down, you just draw the DOM for what the user can actually see. So if you're using divs to create rows, um, then you've only got 10 divs existing if you can only see 10 the viewport. And then as the user scrolls down, you create more divs and remove the ones that were there previously. Doesn't it get you into trouble with the scroll bar? How do you maintain proper sizing for the scroll bar? Because the container that these rows are in is the correct height. Ah, nice. So it's just 
like a huge margin up and down, properly calculated in terms of size, something like that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So if you have 10,000 rows and you're 10 pixels high, then your div is 100,000 pixels high. And that gives you the full span of the scroll. Cool. And that's called row virtualization. And I think that's the number one feature that all these data grids have. That's where you jump from a table into what I would consider an enterprise data grid. You have to solve row virtualization. And then we do column virtualization as well. So you've got maximum benefit of, of, of keeping the DOM light. So yeah, so back then you had a lot of grids who, who did those things. And then as they added features, the complexity goes up exponentially. And the reason for that is in a data grid, when you add a feature, it has to work with all the features that came before. So when I implemented the first grid, it did nothing. Then I implemented sorting. That worked. Then I implemented filtering. That needed to work with sorting as well. And then I needed to implement pinned columns, which needed to work with sorting and filtering. Then we went to row grouping. That had to work with all those features before. And that complexity of inter of features working together does go up exponentially. And that's why we have seen a lot of grids that start off well, solve specific problems well, but then they struggle to get the complete feature or to get the complete feature set in to be able to um, provide for a general purpose data grid. I'm curious, <laughs> like you've been doing this for a long time now. What is it, like seven years? And I'm guessing that the initial architecture that you came up with when you started the whole thing, was it necessarily what you now, with all your experience, would consider to be the ideal architecture? Because I'm guessing you learned a lot over those years. So I'm kind of wondering, were there times during this project's lifetime where you basically said, okay, I'm re-architecting this thing, I'm rewriting this thing, or did it just evolve over over time? I'm curious how, how you manage this growth and adding all these features and capabilities, which I assume you continue to do. Yes, it has been what I best describe our engineering cycle. Um, constantly prototyping and constantly rewriting. I think I've re rewritten the core of the grid maybe four times now. And there's lots of other areas we keep rewriting. Also, when this started, it was a small project. And I was honest when I said it was just a pet project. And when it's just a pet project, you just don't have to pick from any rules. So I chose no framework and I chose um, no other external libraries. So right from the start, AG Grid has zero dependencies, which is done because I, I wanted to find out what it would be like for my own personal interest. It now transpires that was a brilliant idea. And big organizations love the fact that we've got zero dependencies because if you want to onboard into a large organization, if you have dependencies, they not only have to onboard you, they have to onboard all of your dependencies as well. So it's such a breath of fresh air for them when they see, oh, you've got no dependencies, that makes onboarding you much easier. But having done that, having no libraries, I didn't have an IOC container. I didn't have dependency injection and that caused issues for me. So the first version of AG Grid, because it didn't have dependency injection, um, managing references to objects was something that was complex. And I kind of went through this journey where I've, I really felt the pain of not having a, 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 um, so I say IOC container, I mean an um, inversion of control container. Because I didn't have one of them, I then had to write my own one, which then led to a new version of AG Grid, where it's then built on what started to be AG, we called it AG Stack. So internally in AG Grid, we now have our own IOC container and we have our own 
um, component library and rendering engine that AG Grid is built on, and they they evolved over time. And even I think it. Uh, I, sorry, I apologize for interrupting. I just think that for our listeners, it might be worthwhile if you could like spend a, a few minutes explaining what inversion of control is. I, I think that many of our listeners may not be familiar with the term. Sure. So if you're using a framework, you're probably familiar with managing services inside that framework. So I know Angular, for example, has services where it'll allow you to provide a class and it'll instantiate an instance of that class. And then you can inject other services into that class. And then likewise, if you have a component, you can inject services from your application into that component. And React and Vue, they all have similar um, a similar mechanism of doing it. The purpose that an IOC container provides is, well, it's twofold. The first is the container manages these instances. So if you have a, if your application requires an instance, then the framework will instantiate the instance for you, and then it will manage providing um, references to other instances into that instance that just created. If you don't have that, then your application will have to have a a boot sequence that you write yourself, whereby you have all these new methods, or sorry, big pardon, you have all these new calls where you're creating new instances of, of all these objects that your application needs. And then you'll have this second step where you start providing references around to all these different objects that need references to each other. And then when you create a component, which wouldn't be a service, then that needs to get references to all these objects that, that it needs. So in an application, a typical uh, object would be the user authentication service or the HTTP service or, or something like that. And if so, you, mm. if if I another way to put it, I think, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, is that instead of your comp- uh, your code being like the entry point to the system, and then as you start up, you attach yourself to very or import directly import various external libraries and services. Instead, you kind of register your code somewhere, the platform initializes you, and as it initializes you, it passes, when it invokes or instantiates your code, it then passes in as parameters the various services that you may need to use. Is, is that kind of an accurate description? Exactly. And that code you would have to write is what we call boilerplate code. And boilerplate code is bad and history has taught us that if you can get frameworks to remove the boilerplate code, then that's good. It simplifies your code, and it also forces consistency across your code base. And it also reduces coupling because you're not like importing con- something from some sort of an explicit path or something within with a file name or whatever. Instead, it's being passed in as a parameter. So as long as the API is maintained, you, you don't really care where the implementation is coming from. Exactly. And that's really the real reason. I was saying there's two reasons why we have IOC containers. The real reason is for testing. So IOC containers is what enables a test library to instantiate an instance of the service you're trying to test. And then it can then inject proxies for the the dependencies that that service has so that you can test that service without requiring a full instance of your application. And cool. That's what an IOC container is. And I totally took you off track. So I hopefully you remember where you were. <laughs> <laughs> well, where I was was uh, we when I first wrote when I wrote the first version of AG Grid, I didn't have any libraries, and I still don't have any libraries. So over time, we had to create the libraries that one would be used to if you were using a, a, something like Angular or, or, or React. But we've kept it completely dependency free. And well, one another reason for that is obviously we're we're supporting 
different frameworks. So we support Angular, we support React, we support Vue. And if a Angular person, person is using AGGrid, they don't want React libraries in their stack. And likewise, if somebody's using React, they don't want to see Vue or Angular. So it was, ver- it was very important for us to, to keep us as clean as possible and have no dependencies. Now you're saying we and us, mm-hmm. but a minute ago you were saying I and uh, working over Christmas. So how did it go from being an open source project created by you personally <laughs> to to talking in the royal <laughs> the royal we? Yeah, I kind of skipped a couple of chapters in the story, I guess. So um, I created this project and I, I created it for myself. And when I went back to work after Christmas, uh, I wanted to use it in my project, but I, I didn't want to just give them the project because I wrote it myself. I wanted to keep the IP. And the only way I could think of doing that at the time, and even now I think it was a, it was a good choice, was to release the project as open source and then to make the project look like an open source project for my employer, I then created a website with some documentation so it looked like a proper bona fide open source project. So then when I came to them and said, look, I've created this data grid, it's open source, it's better than the other options out there, can I use this in our project and work? And they said yes. Over the next while, I was playing two roles, uh, or two hats. During the day, I was um, developing inside this project for my employer. And then in the evenings and weekends, I was developing at AG Grid. So I was coming up with the requirements during the day. And then in the evenings and weekends, programming like a mad thing. I had to try and get it into work. Because I had a website and because I was in GitHub, other people started to take notice. And that wasn't part of the plan. And um, people started sending me messages on GitHub and doing pull requests. And uh, what, what I didn't get, up, and it took me a few months to get this, but my problem wasn't personal. It wasn't just my problem. There was a like a global need for a data grid. The issues and frustrations I had with data grids at the time were shared. Lots of people had those. So I was getting messages saying, do you realize what you've just done? You've just created something that there is a big need for you. You should you should push this. So on March the 16th, in 2015, I wrote a blog. And the blog was called Why the World Needed Another Angular JS Grid, because I was working with Angular at the time. And um, I wrote the blog and was read. I've, by the way, I've got no social footprint at this point. I'm not a, a popular speaker at conferences. I don't even have a Twitter account. There's no social footprint. And I created a blog on Medium. And that blog went viral. And it was read 6,000 times in the first 24 hours. And from that day onwards, about 500 people a day came to the website. And that's when this thing really started going places. It, it, it started basically being a train moving. And from then, there's been this huge story um, to where we are now, where this train has just gotten faster and faster and faster and bigger and bigger and bigger. By say after the after the end of that first of that one year, that was 2015. By the end of 2015, where I was working in my job during the day and doing AG Grid and during the evenings and weekends, I was trying my best to have a relationship with my girlfriend, and it was just too much. Something I had to give. I, I couldn't continue AG Grid and keep everything else in my life going as well. So I'm so, assuming you kept the girlfriend, right? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I kept the girlfriend. I dropped the job. Okay. I, 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 I quit my job and I went, you know what? I'm going to give this one year. Let's see if I can get to so the next year was 2016. I made a promise to myself. If I can, I get to the end of 2016 and not have my bank balance drop. So basically, can I pay my mortgage, go out for go out to restaurants once or twice a week and just have a, a nice normal life? Could I get to that self-sustaining, self-employed thing by the end of that first year? What really happened is by the end of that first year, I released AG Grid Enterprise, 
which was the same plus more in terms of features and also came with support and if then charged for that. And by the end of the first year, I had two employees. So not only was I cash positive, I was able to hire people and it was the start of a bona fide company. But then go, I'm just going to jump straight to today because there's so many things I could tell you about the last seven years, but just to kind of put it in context of where we are now. So today we've got thousands of customers, about seven, 8,000 customers of our enterprise version. And that's not individual developers. Like if you think of a company in the Fortune 500, that's just one customer out of our um, seven or 8,000. And about 80% of the Fortune 500 are currently customers of ours at, at, some, at, at some capacity. I hear somebody that, you know, get that a question reminds in there. Me, yeah, that reminds me of that scene from uh, Lord of the Rings where Legolas kills that uh, elephant and Gimli the Dwarf tells him that only counts as one. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still just exactly. one. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's uh, JP Morgan, but it only counts as one. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it is. And then some companies like uh, we've got site deals with, um, like companies like the one you just mentioned, a lot of their finance did. If you Google top 10 investment banks globally, half of them, they've basically said we're, we're standardizing an AG grid. Yeah, which is quite juicy. So one thing um, I'm always curious about when it comes to open source companies is your business model. So mm-hmm. if I'm I'm reading on on your site, so basically, as I understand it, you basically you have your open source versions that are free for anybody to use, and then you have additional versions that have additional functionality, and that's where the payment comes in, or companies would pay to get that extra functionality and support, I believe, for for the use of the grid. Yeah, that's it exactly. And it's that simple. We, we don't, we, we just try and keep it simple. So the community version um, is is proper open source. Anybody can use it. You never need to give us a penny or even tell us that you're using it. And then the enterprise version comes with more features. And if you're using the enterprise version and you pay as money, you get the more features and you also get access to our support system. And nice. I think that, that works really well for us because the free version that we have still stands up there and is very strong competition against not only the free grids that are out there, but even the enterprise grids. If you think of our competitors, what we give away for free, they're effectively charging for. Where where we charge is where we're going above and beyond what data grids would typically do. So one of the first things we implemented that was above and beyond was um, pivoting. There's no other general purpose data grid out there that will allow you to pivot the data. There are some specific grids to do pivoting, but then they won't let you do all these other things like sorting and grouping. And that's what a lot of our competitors do. And they have four or five different data grids, like their tree grid, their pivot dead grid, their Excel grid, and their grouping grid. Whereas we have all the features just in one grid, and it includes pivoting. So it's not a case where we're, we're charging for something that you could get free elsewhere, or even you could, you could pay for elsewhere. We are genuinely doing stuff, which is above and beyond what, what everybody else is doing. So now I've noticed that you also have, and one thing we haven't talked about a lot is you have a charts library. We have an AG charts community version. You know, as someone who's been living and breathing charts recently, just for my job as a as a front end developer with a huge set of data, I'm curious: is that something that's also built from the ground up? Are you depending upon anything like a D3 or something like that, or or what's involved with your uh, your charting library? That's built from the ground up. That's included in my statement of we have zero dependencies. Okay. It was tempting to use D3, um, mm-hmm. but we decided not to, that it was best for us not Out to use Out of curiosity, D3. is it built on top of Canvas or, or SVG? SVG. Or? Yeah. It's built on top of Canvas. Oh, Canvas. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. You'll just get performance issues with SVG. 
not for everybody, but you will have a limit to how complex your charts can get if you go. Yeah, because it's it's a model, so yeah, it's not just pixels, and you have to keep all that model in, me- in memory. So so yeah, mm-hmm. if the model gets too complex, you're you're absolutely correct. All right, with the charts, one thing I love about our charts is sorry, this is fresh in my head because we were speaking about where we've gone above and beyond what the competition is doing. I'm very excited about our charts, and we we give our charting library or standalone charting library we give that away for free and the reason why we do that is we think well we're, we're doing a me too we're, we're catching up we're doing a charting library that's just as good possibly better than everybody else's but it hasn't you know exploded onto the scene and done things so 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 much better so that's why we give that away for free but where we have exploded onto the screen uh, onto the scene and have done something way 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 better is the integration between the two if you use age grid enterprise you can just select a range of cells right click and send to chart and you have an Excel type experience inside your data grid without having to write any code. You just set a property and on the grid, enable charts true, and you have this rich charting experience. If you were to use any other library, you would need to get a grid and a charting library independently, and then write a lot of code to create that application experience. Nobody else is doing integrated charting. And, and that's why we think look, that that's what should go into our enterprise version, because we, we've done something which is just truly world first and, and groundbreaking. So basically, your kind of litmus, litmus test to determine what goes in the free version or the open source version and what goes into the enterprise version is wherever you kind of quote unquote go above and beyond. Is that kind of, of how you, yes. you make that distinction? Yes, 100%. And I think that makes sense because if we, if we don't, then open source projects will start doing things that we're trying to charge for. So we try and cover it all. We, we want to compete in the free grid version and be the best free grid that you can possibly be. And then the enterprise is going above and beyond. I'm sorry, that was a very long-winded answer of saying yes, <laughs> especially on, on a techie broadcast where it was a, a Boolean question. It should just pop up, say yes or no, Niall. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate the, the additional information because it's always kind of a challenge whenever you see a company that's based on an open source product or project trying to monetize it. It's it's always challenging. And also the freemium model, obviously. Uh, I, I, By the way, I work at Wix where we're not open source, but we utilize the, the freemium model. And it's always a challenge of of where you draw the line. Like where, where does the, the free offering end and the paid for service uh, starts? And it's never trivial. Uh, so that's one thing. And the other thing is, you know, so many open source projects struggle with properly with successfully monetizing it and guaranteeing an, a reasonable income like you said for for the maintainer of the project you know so many people are uh, doing this thankless job of, of essentially propping up our web ecosystem and not really being adequately compensated for it so it's really cool and amazing that you've been able to so successfully do it yeah, I'd agree. It is it is difficult, and there's also a um, a common expectation amongst developers that things should be free, which is changing. And in recent years, we have patron systems in place where people can donate to to projects. But it is a struggle for open source developers if they're going to rely on donations. Like, let me give you an example of before. We started charging for AG Grid. So back in 2015, I had a donate button on my website. And over that full year, I got about maybe 10 or 12 donations. And in total, I made about 500 pounds, British pounds, $800 in, in donations that year, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a nice gesture, but it's not going to pay the rent or mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. It's like a, throwing a 
bus crashes make a comparison. I was going to say it's like showing a bus for 20 quid. Really, you should give them 100 quid or 200 quid if it's going to make a difference to them. So once we went enterprise on the first day, like I was charging 250 pounds a license when we first launched and I started selling to maybe a, a team a day, a four-person team. So right from the start, I was getting about a thousand pounds a day in from customers, which was more than my entire amount of donations the year before. What I took from that is like, these are the same people. The people who were buying from me at the early stages were that was that community of people who were using AG Grid since its inception and were champions of the project. They loved what I was doing and they were listening for the updates and, and they saw the donate button and they, they mostly just ignored it. But as soon as I had this um, option for them to buy something from me, lots of them come out of the, of the woodwork. And these customers, we never knew I had. Up until then, they were just NPM downloads. And these like banks from all over the world started coming forward and saying, yes, we've been using you for X number of months. We're a fan of yours. We'd love to buy four or 10 licenses. And they would, um, they would do that. So my taking from it is people are generally not good at taking money out of their back pockets and giving it to you. But they're very good at asking for an invoice and going to their boss and getting an invoice signed off for a much larger amount. So if you are an open source project, and you want to monetize, if you can find a way to sell something as opposed to depend on contributions, then people, the community, will are better able to respond to that and, and start giving you money. And correct me if I'm wrong, but especially in the enterprise market, I think that a lot of the companies actually prefer to have some sort of of an enterprise deal, like the, some sort of you know support and then guarantees of updates and and stuff like that. They, it's it's actually something that they prefer. I think. Yes, yes, they want longevity of the company. They want to make sure you're in business in five years, and they want support. Um, mm-hmm. the, the typical open source lifecycle is it's great for a couple of years, and then it dies off because the initial creators of the um, open source project move on in life. They have kids or they move jobs or something like that. One of the, the first customers I have was a, one of the first sales that was very, very weird for me. And looking back, so happy that it happened. And um, I was charging £250 per developer. And this gentleman, and he really was a gentleman, said, OK, I've got five developers, so you're going to charge me £1,250. And I said, yes. And he said, and for that, I can use the grid for a year. And then if I don't want to continue with support, I can. that's all the money I ever need to give you. And I said, yep. And he said, that's not enough. You're not charging me enough. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pay you 10,000 euros. And I want you to go and get a proper EULA because the EULA I had wasn't very good. I copied somebody else's and renamed their name with HG Grid. He said, I want you to get a proper EULA and I want you to start charging more and set up a proper company because we have a huge dependency on AG Grid in our application and we're a proper company as well. And we need to make sure that you stay in business for the next five, 10 years and you're not going to be able to do that with a small amount you're charging and this you know one one person garage shop that that you are right now and that was uh, like <laughs> it was a strange phone call because i ended up with my you know my salesperson and me had my opening price and he ended up giving me 10 times more but i, I learned so much and it really gave me an appreciation for wh- why people want you to be a proper company they want to pay money because they they want you to be around and be a business partner with them for the future now, if I can ask a bit of a difficult question, because I assume you, as an open source project, you you accept, I guess, pull. I don't know how often it happens, but I assume you do accept pull requests from people that are working outside your company, at least in theory. 
Now, what happens if somebody comes along and uh, implements in a pull request one of the features that you're selling as an enterprise feature? If they implement as a pull request to the open source version, something we have in our enterprise, um, that has never happened. Actually, the pull requests that we get are very basic. And at the start, there was more pull requests towards the start. And the, there was a few times where people would implement a feature. But what I found with the pull requests is people writing the pull requests were only catering or looking out for themselves. So they would implement a feature and not fully test it against the complete feature set of the grid, but only tested against the features that they were using. And there was one example of this where somebody wanted to have, um, we, we call it column groups. I think there's a more common name. Basically, if you want to have two levels of groupings, so you're, you're grouping your columns into more groups. And he implemented a, a version of this that worked for him, but it just didn't work with lots of other features like moving columns around. It just completely broke down because that's not a feature that, that he wanted. And then also the fact that it didn't work. You're talking about coding styles, the direction of the of the project. Um, it, AG Grid is a very complex project. It really, really is complex. And I'm a, a huge believer in co-located people working together. All the, the people who work for AG Grid now are, are in London and the dev team sits together in a room. And even when a new joiner starts in AG Grid, it, it takes them about four to six months to get to know the code base. Having and with the assistance of us sitting beside them, there's a, there's a big, steep learning curve. And it takes them a long time to get to that level where they can com comfortably contribute. So AG Grid's been at the stage now, and has been for a couple of years, where people just don't do, don't provide pull requests because the, the project is too complex. What we do get is small bug fixes, and, and they are brilliant. We do genuinely get some small bug fixes. But when you talk about implementing new features, uh, we, we just don't get those pull requests. If it happened, if somebody did, submit a pull request for an enterprise feature, we, we would obviously reject it because it's it just breaks our business model. But I've always wondered, what if somebody branched or forked, to beg your pardon, what if somebody forked on GitHub our community version, which they're completely entitled to do, and then started implementing our enterprise features and provide an alternative open source version of AG Grid, which is basically AG Grid Enterprise, but developed by somebody else. And that would be easy enough for them to do because maybe I shouldn't be saying this because they don't want to be given one of the developers' ideas. <laughs> but our um, our enterprise version is also, um, I shouldn't say open source because that's a proper noun that's got a specific definition. The source code is open on our enterprise version. It, it's on GitHub. So if people want to see how we've implemented the enterprise features, it's, it's all there on GitHub. So it would be easy enough for somebody to copy these features. Um, but that's that's not happened. That nobody's even tried. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I've put together the curriculum, and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people, and now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. I think the answer 
to, as to why it kind of, I, I am guessing, as to why it may not have happened, it has to do with the, the what you said a minute before about how difficult the code base is to get into. I like to say that if anybody ever steals my code, I really hope that he, whoever, whoever that person mm-hmm. is also fixes all my bugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. And, and, and good luck with that. Because without somebody explaining the code, even code that is is supposedly well-documented can be really challenging to get into. And yeah, so, and at the end of the day, for somebody to really take your code and start their own business around it, they would literally need to start their own business around it. And, you know, you're already there. You've got the traction with the customers that your customers trust you. It would just be really difficult to do, I think. My experience with this is kind of interesting, too, because I have a lot of good friends that uh, work on Canvas LMS, which is made by Instructure here in Utah. It's a learning management system, and they open sourced Canvas, which is their, or at least it was their flagship project product, right? They had an open source community version like what we're talking about here, and they licensed it GPL3. Three, I think. So that was one way that they avoided some of this was that through the licensing then, if somebody came in and tried to re-implement some of the other stuff they have in their hosted version that they own, because obviously they've licensed to, to themselves as we'll do whatever we want with it, including commercial, then those contributions would have to be open source. The other thing that was interesting about it though, and this is something that I've seen not just in the programming world, but also in the business world, I... I want something like AG Grid to solve other problems, right? So I'm not invested in creating a better AG Grid. I'm invested in the other stuff that I want to build. And I'm hoping the AG Grid will help me get there, you know, if I need a solution like it. So I think that's the other thing to consider is that people are willing to spend the money to not have to put the time in to make AG Grid do more than the community version. Instead, they'll just pay you guys and then they'll go solve the world problems that they're trying to solve. Exactly. Like the cost of AG Grid is, is tiny compared to a, a day rate of a developer. Yeah. So I think at the moment, sorry, I don't think, I'm pretty sure, we're, we're between $750 to $1,200 per, per developer, which is one day, give or take, for a development mm-hmm. in the United States. Like you, you would spend multiple days trying to add features or just, well, it would take you months just to learn our code base, not mind that features. So, right. it just, so it just doesn't make sense for, for you to invest time when you can just pay with a minimal amount. Yep. Now, one of the, I, I actually, before that, I, I just occurred to me a question that I wanted to ask. So a while back, we had some guests on the show talking about, uh, from Sentry, talking about how they transitioned their project from uh, JavaScript to TypeScript. Mm-hmm. Also at, uh, at Wix, like I said, where I work, we uh, we transitioned essentially all of our core projects into into TypeScript. I'm curious whether you're using JavaScript or TypeScript in AG Grid. Definitely TypeScript. Definitely typed. We I, I'm a Java developer, which is not true anymore because I've been doing AG Grid for about seven years. But my background before it, it you know what AG Grid is my first JavaScript project. Isn't that mad? Um, I used to be a Java developer when I was working for these banks, and we were using JavaScript and Angular as the front end, which I just barely knew. And I saw AG Grid as a good way for me, or I shouldn't call it call it AG Grid. I thought a, a Grid pet project that was nameless back then would be a good way for me to learn JavaScript because I wanted to get better and learn the DOM. Well, you know, Java, so, JavaScript, it's all similar. You know, same name. They're, they're all it's all the like, same uh, stuff, right? Like Car, like Car. <laughs> 
like car and carpet, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, all um, the recruiters, they understand that because I get emails all the time for Java positions because I do JavaScript. So they must be the same. You're lucky. I, I get uh, job, uh, jobs for manual QA. So, <laughs> so, so you're lucky. <laughs> I actually, one thing that annoys me is nobody tries to get me to do AG Grid jobs. Loads of people in the company, they always, people are trying to poach them. Oh, you've got AG Grid experience, come work for us. But nobody tries to poach me. I would just like, not that I go work for somebody, but I would just like to be somebody to come to me with an AG Grid spec and say, come work for us. But anyway, I started the, I started a project as plain JavaScript because it's just a pet project. Why bother with um, you know, adding to the stack? But after a few months, I, I really craved for proper typing because there's so many benefits to TypeScript when you're managing a, a large project. So yeah, as soon as the project, as soon as I couldn't remember the different interfaces and where I wanted code completion and compile time checking, and then I, I moved to TypeScript at an early stage within, let's say, four months into the project lifecycle. Yeah, I have a funny story about uh, pulling the founder of a project. And I can't remember what company it was, but they were pretty embarrassed. So David Heinemeyer Hansen, who created Ruby on Rails, he got contacted by a recruiter from one of the companies that was actually sponsoring RailsConf. And and they basically said, it looks like you have 10 years of experience in Rails, and you're the only one that we can find that matches that qualification. Are you interested in a job? And he sent him a pretty nasty email back because he was the only person with 10 years of experience in Rails because he created it. And <laughs> yeah, anyway, it was just a funny deal. Nasty? Oh, why would you be nasty? I'd love to say, yes, please interview me. <laughs> and just let the interview go and then <laughs> your topic and then, and then you did, my favorite topic and then you won't pass the interview because some uh, recruiter decides <laughs> that you're either too old or you just don't know you don't really know AG Grid <laughs> that's right <laughs> gosh that reminds me if you've ever seen the movie Back to School with Rodney yeah, Dangerfield. I was thinking about exactly that yeah. example. So there's, there's he, when he first gets to school, he's bribing everybody to do his work for him. So he has to write a paper on Kurt Vonnegut. So he gets Kurt Vonnegut to actually write the paper for him. And when he turns it in, the professor tells him, whoever wrote this paper doesn't know the first thing about Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? One thing I miss is, um, is jobs. <laughs> and because when you're when you're employed, you're always thinking about the next job and your CV, and you're learning a new technology, and you're thinking about how you would come across in the in the next job interview, trying to explain this technology. But I, I think I've my experience over the last seven years, I've basically made myself unemployable for my dream job because I'm now like CEO of this company with 30 people, and you know, given technical direction, blah blah blah. But I love the program, like that. That's just what I really like doing. It's my it's my passion, like a lot of developers. But I just can't see myself being accepted as a, a developer role anymore. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting thought. But do you actually get to code? I mean, a oh, yeah. CEO's job is is like a full time job, I would imagine. So. Uh... It is. That's why I work 12 hours a day and drink coffee constantly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Living the healthy lifestyle. <laughs> well, you know what? As the, as the company grew, well, at the start, I was doing everything because it was just me. I was doing sales, I was doing marketing, I was doing blogging, I was writing all the code, managing everything. And then it was all about backfilling. It's about finding people to, to take on specific roles. So get another developer to help me with development. But then hire somebody to just do sales, hire somebody to just do support. And that grew and grew and grew. And I was always involved in all the different areas because I was so passionate, I guess, about it. I wanted to be involved. Even though I wasn't doing the sales, I wanted to know what was happening and helping people and guiding them. But the company just then got to the stage where 
there was just too much going on. There, there was there was too much, too many people, too many events, too many actions, too many decisions, and and that's where I had to just change the dynamics of the company and start putting people responsible for certain areas. So um, right now I've got a, a pretty what I think is the ideal for me. So there's three departments in the company. Basically, we've got sales, tech, and support, and each of those three departments has a department head. And they're responsible for running that department. And with those three people, if they have any questions, they'll come to me. But they're they're running that department on a day-to-day basis. And one of those departments, I said, was the technology department. And I've got a guy, brilliant person, Rob, Rob Clark. And he's actually head of product development. So he is in charge of the development in AG Grid. And I'm in his team. So I'm actually a senior developer reporting into Rob. And then I'm also the CEO, having Rob and two other guys reporting into me. So that sounds like a job sandwich, then. <laughs> well, it almost like <laughs> I do what Rob tells me to do until um until I don't want to do it, and then I pull rank. <laughs> I'll bring it. I'll, I'll bring it up at the next board meeting. <laughs> it's like Michael Jordan when he was when he owned and played for the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but so, yeah. you do have specific understandings of which role you're playing and when you're playing it. Because I've, I've been in the position where you were kind of in three places on the org chart, but nobody told you which, where, when, yeah. They, yeah, they got it, messy. It, the dynamics between myself and Rob is colorful. <laughs> and it, it, is, <laughs> it is messy. But what gives us direction or keeps us in the right direction is we both understand what the end goal is and we're both working mm-hmm. towards the same place. Um, like this project, it's, it's, it's my baby. So it's very difficult to replace my experiences with AG Grid over the last seven years. And it's designed exactly as, as I would design it because I, I did I did design it. So it's it's difficult to, to backfill my role on the grid. So it's from, a, say, a project point of view, I've a, I'm a big asset to the company being the senior developer on the grid. But then on top of all that, I, I have to run the company as well. So we, we isolate those concerns. And plus, yeah. I want to be a developer because I'm happy being a developer. So you said that you have like, an under, uh, both of you have the understanding of where you want to be. Uh, if I may ask, where is it? Where like, if you're looking forward, like the next seven years, uh, if I may ask. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you can ask. And it's a, it's a brilliant question. <laughs> I don't know where we're going, but I said earlier, that's when the, the train started, that this big train started to moving. And and that's where we are. That's what it's really felt like over the last seven years. I, we, I'm like holding on for my dear life on this massive system that we've built. When I say system, I mean everything to do with the company, the, the product, the customers, the marketing, the conferences, the grid, the code, everything is just working together and moving fast and big. And we're, we're just like hanging on for our dear lives. It is fantastic uh, experience we've been given. But we can give a direction. We can obviously push it in a particular way. But even if we say, you know what, shut down the company, just quit. For like, I'm not saying we're, we're trying to do that. But AG Grid would still live on. It would still go in a particular direction, still be this mm-hmm. common project that, that's still being used. So we're not in control. Uh, we're not in full control of the direction that AG Grid is going. And something else that I've learned over the last seven years is how difficult writing a data grid is like you might think it's difficult but trust me it's far more difficult than you think because i thought it was difficult five years ago and every year i realized oh my god there's just so much more so much more so much more and we had ideas in the past about how we could pivot the business come up with a new project do this other thing and we had to just stop thinking about those things because the grid was just taking so much energy Um, like even now seven years later. And uh, I'm very proud of what we've done with the grid, but there's so much more we can do. Like all these feature requests that are coming from customers. And then plus keeping up to date with the frameworks. 
like React Hooks came out last year, the year before. And, and we mm-hmm. had to rewrite a very large section of the grid to, to make it work better, better with React Hooks. Um, so just maintaining the grid and the charts and moving them forward is a massive project. And we're not out of the woods yet with them. So I would like to think that in seven years from now, we haven't taken our eye off the ball. So we've continued to extend the grid and the charts and, and make them even better than they are today. If I was to think, how's the company going to change? What new stuff would come out? <laughs> I'm afraid to say these things because they may not come true. But we would like to um, develop out the story of, of a reporting replacement. Let me say that a bit differently. That doesn't make sense. If you think enterprise and enterprises, when they build applications, it's common for them to also use a reporting tool and provide reports to fit alongside the application. It's also common for somebody using an application to export to Excel and do some fidgeting with the data to prepare a chart or something then to put into an email or a presentation. What we would like to do is um, stop people leaving your application. If somebody exports to Excel or moves to a BI tool, then your application has failed because you haven't met the user requirements of the well of the user. They're not able to do what they want to do with the data inside your application. So that's why we've headed down towards this kind of business intelligence tool or Excel feel to AG Grid to empower these users to be able to do all of these things. So I would like to think in a few more years, we've made AG Grid so powerful that we'll be a real bona fide option for our customers to say, you know what, we can stop people exporting to Excel now, or we don't need to use these other BI tools because we can do all of this inside of AG Grid. Really cool. Now, something that I definitely want to discuss before we we finish, and you kind of mentioned it, is your integration with the various frameworks. From my experience, when you're creating a library or component that you want to integrate into uh, multiple frameworks, there are two main approaches that I've seen. One is to essentially re-implement whatever component it is, you know, obviously try to reuse as much of the logic and the code as possible, but essentially re-implement the tool for the various frameworks. And the other approach is kind of that I've seen is a kind of micro front-end type of an approach where you try to encapsulate the component as much as possible, segregate it from the framework so that it just exposes an API that the framework could use, you know, maybe even going as far as using a web component. And then it kind of behaves like its own HTML element. Where on on this spectrum do you fall? We fall in a third option. So we don't want to write a new product for each framework because that that just completely spreads your effort as a dev team. And then you've got your product. Well, it's no longer one product. You've got six products, whatever it is. And as you're spending time on one, you're not spending time on another. And also the products that come out of sync. So you have some features in one, but not in another. It's just inevitable that they, they, they don't get maintained equally or at the same speed. So we were always an agnostic code base right from the start. So the first approach we went for was wrapping the grid. So we would just put this thin layer over AG Grid, which was then an interface into what was expected by the framework. So we'd have an Angular or a React component, which would then wrap AG Grid. But then we went a step further. Uh, What I just described there is common. There's a lot of components out there who will support Angular, React, and Vue by just having a thin wrapper around them. Where we go further is then we allow you to customize the grid using the framework of your choice. So if you're using, for example, Angular and you're using AG Grid Angular, 
you can provide us with a angular component which we will then insert into the cells for you so that you can customize the contents of the cell using an angular component and how we do that well what we have to do is engage with the an, an api into angular which you would typically use if you're just a normal developer where we um, take control of the instantiation of the angular components and inject them into the dom at these positions so if you're an angular developer the grid feels like an angular grid and then you can customize it with components written in angular so as far as you're concerned it's, it's angular from top to bottom and it's not just the cells you can customize filters and editors all those types of things and we did that with angular and view and react and it worked very well up until about six months ago where the problem that that creates is sometimes the developer knows or feels that they're not working with that framework from top to bottom. And that happens a lot in React. And, and that's because of the way that the React rendering engine is, is quite different to the other rendering engines. It's got the virtual DOM and the, the, the rendering cycle is, is quite unique to React. And it kind of comes with its own patterns. And React developers didn't really like how AG Grid was, was integrating with React. So we started a project about six months ago that were almost complete. And we separated out the rendering side of the grid to the functional side of the grid and then allowed the rendering piece to be plugged in with a React rendering piece. So now when you use React for AG Grid, it'll actually do all of the rendering in React all the way down to the component that you provided, being the cell component. Um, so that means on the React side, if you're using AG Grid in React and you open up the React developer tools, you'll be able to see a, a React component hierarchy all the way down through the grid because it's now a 100% React. So just to recap, then the strategy we went down is for all the frameworks except React, we wrap the grid and then we, we, we use the frameworks API to manage the component creation for when you customize the grid using the frameworks components. But then for React, it's a complete port of our front end, just a front end into, um, into React. But it uses the, when I say the front end, about 5% of our code is front end because I'm talking about low level DOM operations, set this class, set this width, insert this div, all those low level stuff. The rest, 95% of the code, which isn't interacting with the DOM, that's shared between the React version and the other versions as well. So it regards features and the features are actually identical between the different versions. So, as so, so you are effectively now maintaining two renderers, one implemented in React and the other one that's uh, pure direct DOM manipulation? Yes, using our own rendering engine. So it's just the rendering side, we are managing two rendering engines, but most of the grid, which both of these rendering engines inter um, re require, is shared code. And it's designed such that um, well, it's all based on interfaces and with TypeScript. And if, the re if our core part of the grid requires the rendering engine to do something, like, for example, like a column, and it needs to set the width of a column, there'll be a, an interface, a TypeScript interface with a method set width. And then if that's not implemented on either of the rendering engines, it won't compile. So in the future, if we introduce a new feature into our core, it'll add whatever it needs onto the interface for the rendering engine to do, which will then force us to implement this feature on both rendering engines, therefore forcing us to keep everything in sync and the feature list and even the, the end result, which I think is pretty cool. When I say the end result, the DOM is identical, regardless of using React or one of the other rendering versions. Because if you think about it, the frameworks, they all do the exact same thing. 
they're all just a different way to go about setting the DOM. And at the end of the day, the DOM has to be identical because they're both providing for the same browsers or applying, uh, adhering to the same, same CSS rules. So it's just that mechanism to get what you want into the DOM, which rendering engine are you going to use? You know, as somebody who's never actually seen your source code, <laughs> I'm going to presume and make a suggestion just off the cuff for what you could consider maybe is like essentially trying to like unify these two renderers into one where in the case of React, you use React, but in the case of not React, you I know that you like to avoid dependencies, but you introduce a dependency on something really lightweight, like Preact or what's that name, Lit HTML or something like that, which has a really similar architecture in a lot of ways to React and does kind of bring in a dependency, but it's a dependency that you can effectively inline because it's so small. I think that's what we have done, but that library that you're suggesting is our own rendering engine. I'm waiting for the Svelte port. <laughs> That's one person who's asked for it. If we get lots of requests from our customers, then I'm sure. Oh, 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 I'm totally inking your chain. <laughs> or alternatively, implement it as a web component as well. And then you support any framework that you don't have native support for. They can use it as a web component. We used to support web components. And then we dropped support for web components. And the reason was the community didn't really want it. There was very little uptake on web components. Web components, they don't come with data binding, which is a bit of a problem when building a system. But I don't really want to express an opinion on web components, although I have one. It's not relevant because we, we fulfill the desires of our customers. And web components were spoken a lot about five years ago, but the uptake just, just wasn't there. As I said, we provided a web com- component version of AG Grid, but the, the downloads were like dismal. It was like half a percent of our total downloads was web components. Again, what I've seen with web components is that they're not used as an architecture so much as that they're used as a solution for specific use cases. So, for example, we had a couple of guests on the episode talking about how they used web components to enable micro frontends because they were integrating within the same web web application multiple frameworks, for example. Larger enterprise customers that were integrating like, uh, you know, one company purchases another company or something like that. And then within the same front end, they're actually using multiple uh, frameworks. And then they kind of use web components as as a lightweight alternative to iframes in a way. To, to segregate their code base. So again, I'm not seeing so much the case of I'm going to write my entire UI using web components. More of what I'm seeing is I have a problem of, of code, like I need to put two, two or more bits of code within the same page that don't necessarily play nice with each other. And rather than use iframes, I'm going to uh, segregate between them using web components. Or within my company, the SAP, I see a guy from SAP talked about that, about how they, within their company, uh, because they buy companies, they have uh, different parts of the company using different frameworks. They want to do, they wanted to develop a common library of components that get used everywhere. They didn't, and they basically didn't want to go through the effort that you did. So they just wrapped them as web components and gave them to everybody that way. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I think if somebody's needing to do that right now, what they could do is use our vanilla JavaScript version, which is no framework. I was going to make a joke about jQuery, but 
I won't. Go for it. No, you built it up. Have to make it. <laughs> well, I was just, I was just going to say, <laughs> your rendering engine should have been built in jQuery. But. <laughs> jQuery was, sorry, jQuery was great back then. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. It was. Yeah, but it's it, it's still great. It's just that it's not really needed anymore because the DOM yeah. basically got yes. the best features out of jQuery. Yeah, I was surprised how much the uh, the DOM gave you back back in 2015 when I started doing AG Grid, and I realized, hey, hold on, I I don't need jQuery and people I speak to and they hear I'm not using jQuery, they were like amazed that you could get away with not using jQuery. Yeah, it's and a these lot of days, standardized. Yeah, and these days it's all Chromium and WebKit mm-hmm. anyway, so... <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, even in Edge, well, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and the ones that still aren't, they, they match up with all that specification, and so... Yeah, you're pretty good either way. I'm, I'm kind of running up against the deadline myself, so I'm probably going to push this over to picks unless there's something really pressing that we haven't covered. No, I think this was a great conversation. Uh, Niall, is there anything uh, you'd like to add that uh, you know we missed that we should have asked but didn't? No, like there's just so much things we could talk about. There's nothing oh, yeah. specific. Yeah, I, I did find, or maybe I was going to say this at the end, it was, it was a wee bit dry and I'm afraid maybe we went into the business part of it a bit too much. It was a bit too... It, it lacked the, the fun developer chat that developers are normally used to. It was, it was a bit I don't serious. know. I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm obviously enthusiastic about it all. I hope it didn't come yeah. across as like the over-enthusiastic. Oh, here's this guy talking about how fucking great he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry if, I, if it was a bit too serious. Nope, but no, I, 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 think that, I, I think that was really good. If you guys are happy with it, then that, that's that's brilliant. And you know, if your users yeah. think this is good, then that's, that's, all, that, that's what it's for. Sounds good. Do you want to just tell people where to get AG Grid? Mm-hmm. Do you want to leave that with a question? Yeah. Do you want to tell people where to get AG Grid? <laughs> Best thing to do is um, just go go to Google, AG Grid, and go onto our website then, ag-grid.com, and all, all the instructions are there. Uh, there's some getting started guides, and the, the community version is is brilliant. So if you just want to just test it, see it, and not, not, not have to you know, pay any money, then just use the community version. And it's... Uh, yeah, uh, we, we put so much effort into our documentation to try and make it easy for people. Uh, I think just, yep, yeah, go go to our website, take it from there. Awesome. We'll put a link in the show notes too. But yeah, let's go ahead and do some picks. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call. And it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. 
And I'm really looking forward to helping people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. AJ, do you want to start us off with the picks? No, no, not today, actually. All right, Steve, you want to start us off with picks? Wow. I figured I had another 10 minutes to get mine ready since AJ was doing his, but I'll have to jump right in. So I'll start with, you know, the usual high point of of the podcast is my list of dad jokes. So to start out, do you know what you call someone who tells a dad joke that isn't a dad? A faux pas. Get it? Anyway, I won't explain it. Um, And then I got uh, it. I liked it. I liked it. uh, So the other day I was attacked by a flock of sheep. Believe it or not, sheep aren't always docile. Sometimes they'll attack you. But fortunately, I was only grazed. (laughs) And then... Mm. And then finally, you know, I used to, you know, before I, I uh, met and, and married my wife, I dated this one girl who was cross-eyed, but it didn't last very long because we couldn't see eye to eye. And plus, I think she was seeing somebody on the side. I will give no, attribution get to, to that get one. This one time. We, we have to deal with it on every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, you're, you're actually, is this part of the podcast still? Or are we just hanging out? Oh, there? absolutely. It's part of the podcast, yeah. <laughs> My jokes are the high point uh, of any podcast. But it, it, no, it, I will it, give proper attribution to that one. I got that one from Dwayne Johnson in Jungle Cruise. That's not one of the jokes that is in the clip that you see on YouTube. So my daughter and I went and saw that and I was laughing out loud in the theater and she was telling me to be quiet. But, Spoiler. Uh, <laughs> anyway, those are my picks. That actually reminds me yeah. of this time uh, myself and my wife were in New York and we were staying in a hotel and there was this um, spider in the bathtub and my wife said, don't kill it, don't kill it, take it out, take it out. So I um, took it out for a pint. <laughs> and so it was good. Actually, Oh, thank um, you, thank you. No, he's actually a nice guy. Uh, His name is Ed. I asked him, uh, what did he want to, you know, what what did he want to be in life? He said he wanted to be a web developer. Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. I've heard those. It's so good. Yeah, and then we we went to look for a bar, but all we could find was this NoSQL bar, which is pretty crap because it didn't have any tables. (laughs) (laughs) So then we found this other bar that that was kind of better. It was a proper relational database bar. So we went up to two tables and said, can we join you? <laughs> Sorry, I just want to shut up now. <laughs> no, 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 that's great. That's a chain of... It, oh, it's that's kind so of, good. It, it kind Keep of... Going. Keep going. It kind of, remi- it kind of reminded me of that uh, story about uh, the QA person that walks into a bar, orders right. the uh, orders a beer, orders two beers, orders zero beers, orders a million <laughs> beers, orders, <laughs> orders a lizard, orders a... <laughs> And then the first custo- real customer walks in, asks where the bathroom is, and the bar explodes, killing everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I've heard that one. I like that one a lot. Oh, that's so good to be the, the starting point for so much great humor. I love it. Yeah. All right, Dan, what are your picks? Okay, so I actually have two picks for us today. The first one is our good friend, uh, Carl Simpson, is finally continuing his work on the second edition of You Don't Know JS Yet. And he's got a Kickstarter going for it. So that's one worthwhile Kickstarter if there ever was. I'm donating to it, and sh- and so should you. So I'm putting the link for that in the show note. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that, then you don't know, the You Don't Know JS Yet series, the second edition. Kyle is like the best 
from my perspective, best JavaScript teacher out there. Nobody knows JavaScript like Kyle knows JavaScript. And if if you really want to understand the language, not a specific framework or or the DOM or whatever, but JavaScript the language, then I can't recommend any other resource more than uh, Kyle's books. So that would be my first pick. Yeah, you don't know JS yet. Go get the books. Exactly. Listen to this podcast and get the books. And my second pick is we're watching this uh, series on Netflix uh, called, well, it's not on Netflix. It's on, actually on, HBO, on uh, HBO Max. It's called The White Lotus. It's, it's kind of strange. It's kind of out there. If you would ask me to tell you exactly what it's about, then, uh, you know, it's like entitled rich people live, uh, you know, with really problematic personalities, uh, staying in this fancy hotel, being served by the staff who are really poor people, but with really problematic personalities as well. But it's somehow totally addicting. It's kind of off the wall, strange, but, you know, we're enjoying it a lot and I highly recommend uh, watching it. And awesome. uh, And those would be uh, my picks for today. All right. AJ, do you have some picks? Oh, yeah, I do. I'm ready now. Oh, I'm ready. So first off, I've talked about how you can do type linting with JavaScript, but I hadn't actually done it myself. And I found that all the articles that were out there were a little too trivial in terms of they're kind of like, here's how you work in a single file with a single object of its type. But then as soon as you go into a real project, it's you know, much more complex than that because you have to modify the type of, say, for example, Express so that you can add your own, your own custom properties onto the rec objects as you know, middleware does and whatnot. Anyway, so I, I got together a JS doc TypeScript starter repo that if you're interested in doing type linting in JavaScript is a good resource and there's an issue with a link to other resources that I pulled from, but I would say that this is uh, more complete than... The readme here is probably more complete and valuable than the other articles and resources just from the perspective that they're either out of date or only had a couple of pieces each. Uh, But I'm enjoying doing JavaScript with type linting. It does help to find errors. I'm still kind of trying to figure out what the best pattern for it is and where to make the concessions because typing everything is kind of obnoxious, especially if you're... Because I think if somebody who loved JavaScript had created a typed version of JavaScript, it would look a lot like Go. Instead, we had people that love C-sharp develop a type system for JavaScript and, well, you've got TypeScript. But... uh, (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not idiomatic to JavaScript at all. TypeScript is not, it's, it's not even just shoehorned. It's a completely different language. Doing this, I, I grew in my distaste of TypeScript because all of the complexity and the inheritances and the, it's just, Go and JavaScript have never seemed so similar to me. But I realized that they actually are because they're so lightweight and so simple to manipulate and use. Anyway, so there's that. Also, I, I'm going to throw in a couple of other cool things. I've mentioned the Zen of Python and the Go Proverbs many times. I actually now have links to the Zen of Python printable poster and the Go Proverbs printable poster, if you would like those. I've got a jQuery. For those of you that are still on jQuery and really looking to level up, I recommend you check out a jQuery. It's probably the best jQuery alternative with full DOM compatibility. 
And other than that, if you're interested in following me, the live streams or the the little snippets of code teaching that I do, you can do that beyond code. I've got links to Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Oh, and one other thing I threw in, I, I, um, I got a nice small Docker image for Node for deploying Node apps if you're interested in seeing a template for that. So yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, I'm going to throw in a few picks of my own. I'll make it quick. The first one is I finished listening to Ready Player Two, which is the sequel to Ready Player One. Not nearly as good. I enjoyed it, right? So I'm going to pick it, but Ready Player One was way better, way better. There were just some, I, I think some of the pop culture references from the 80s that he made in Ready Player Two just weren't, they didn't appeal to me as much, I guess. And then, yeah, there were just, there was some social commentary in there that I just, felt like didn't need to be in it. But cool story. I, I think the other thing is, is I don't think he took his advantage of the interesting bits of the characters that were there that that he could have. He, he could have fleshed that out a little bit more. But I did enjoy it, even if I'm critiquing it. So Ready Player Two. Uh, right now I'm listening to Masters of Doom, which is kind of a, what? A, it's not a documentary, a bi- biography somewhere in the middle of it's by David Kushner, and he talks about the story of the guys that created Doom. And anyway, really, really enjoying that. Incidentally, both books are narrated by Will Wheaton. So still on the same narrator, but uh, enjoying those books. And then I just want to shout out, if you want to launch a podcast in four weeks, it sounds great. You've got some idea. You want to build your brand, build up a freelancing practice, support some product you're working on. I'm putting together Podcast Bootcamp, and you can get that at podcastbootcamp.io. And yeah, I'll walk you through a four-week program, get your podcast launched, make you sound terrific. And yeah, it'll you know it's going to have the video walkthroughs and guides and worksheets and all that stuff. But you also get group coaching from me. You'll have access to me through the Discord setup. And so I'll be answering those questions on a day-to-day basis. And I'm running it starting the middle of September. So what that kind of puts you into is a cohort with other people. So you'll, the, if somebody asks a question you didn't think of, you know, you get the answer. So that all works out. It's going to be awesome. And that's at podcastbootcamp.io. And then one last thing, I'm getting ready to launch this and it's J, uh, JavaScript picks, javascriptpicks.com. Essentially it's a directory podcast videos, courses, tools. So I, I would assume that there's going to be a, a tools or library section for grids and it'll have AG grid in it, for example. So if you're looking for a resource for your web development, uh, it'll list out NPM packages, it'll list out libraries, it'll list out tools, it'll, you know, so whatever you're trying to do. And it'll also have resources listed in there if you're trying to extend your learning journey. So those are my picks. Niall, what are your picks? <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to ask me. I thought my jokes was my um was my, were my picks. Awesome. I'll, I'll give you um I'll give you um a little fact I learned about an hour ago from my wife. We're moving back to Ireland, moving back to Dublin um at uh, next month. We're about four weeks. Currently live in London and moving back to Dublin. And the uh, moving company said that there's a huge exit is happening right now out of the UK. That business for them they've they normally move people in both directions from Ireland to the UK. But right now, there's a big move of um, people from the UK back to Ireland and a lot of families, which doesn't normally happen. So I guess with um, Brexit or whatever else, there's a big shift of um, of people just leaving the UK because they're not happy without that same shift of people coming back in. I don't know if that's what I was meant to be speaking about, but that's been resonating in my head for the last hour. Interesting. I mean, UK has pretty onerous business taxes too, doesn't? Don't they have uh, 
Isn't that a factor? Um, it's uh, business tax is low, is high. It's um, well, about twenty percent, and in Ireland is is low. It's about twelve percent. But the company is staying here. I'm, I'm not moving the company, just myself. Interesting. Well, definitely good luck with that. Hopefully, uh, that all works out the way you want it to. Um, if people want to connect with you online, where do they find you? I'm assuming Twitter, GitHub, places yeah. like that. Um, best thing to do is go to the AG Grid account on Twitter, AG underscore Grid. That's effectively my profile. Or if you want to get in direct contact, do info at ag-grid.com is, a, is the email address. And it just has to be passed on to me. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Niall. This was a lot of fun. Excellent, guys. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Good to meet you all. And no, it was great. I enjoyed myself. Yep. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up here. And until next time, folks, Max out. Adios. Bye. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.